Let us turn together this morning to the book of Luke. You recall last week we were in chapter 6 to verse 36. And so with this morning being Easter, it makes just perfect sense this morning to go to chapter 6, verse 37. We'll be looking at our Lord's continued teaching in His Sermon on the Plain. And this is like everything our Lord teaches to us. It is teaching that is only applicable to us as we grasp it by faith. This is the eternal, inerrant, sufficient, authoritative Word of God. Luke 6, beginning at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven you. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from bushes, thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, a stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning that You have given to us Your Word, that You have given to us Your great truth. 
But Lord, we also thank You even more that You have given to us the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that He would be resident in our hearts and that more and more by the power of Your Spirit we might be made like the Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time of year, it is very common for us to to give thought to the resurrection and what the resurrection means. It's often also the time in which we, we seek by various intellectual proofs and logics and evidence to show that the resurrection was a real historical event that happened. That the account is true. And that therefore, the things that Jesus said are true. But is that what the resurrection really means? Is the resurrection really there simply to show us that God is capable of grand and glorious works? Is it merely an intellectual buttress to our faith? No, it is not. You see, what the resurrection really means is not just that God can do great things and they are true. What the resurrection really means is that we now can know and see change in every way in our lives because of the resurrection. You see, it is because of who Jesus is and what He has done that we can be changed to be free from the shackle of our sins, to be free from death, And to be made like Him. And so our passage this morning is teaching of our Lord. It is teaching not on the occasion of His death, not on the occasion of His resurrection. But it is teaching that is only true. It is teaching that is only real in the lives of His people. Because of the reality and the power of the resurrected Christ. And so this morning, we have three vignettes from our Lord that help us to see that the change that Jesus makes in us is not only profound, it is something that is impossible without Jesus. First, we will see that with Jesus, we can see clearly. We are changed so that we are now seeing clearly with Jesus. Second, we see that by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are bearing fruit in Jesus. And third, we can know that we are now standing firm in Jesus. Seeing clearly, bearing fruit, and standing firm. Well, let's begin then by looking at verse 37 where our Lord begins to teach us to examine our attitude. Now, everything is different now. Jesus did, in fact, teach and teach truth. Jesus did, in fact, provide an example to us in the life that He lived. But you see, on the other side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, everything is different. He has destroyed the old man of sin. And He has brought about a new man. 
This is why of all philosophies, of all religions, of all types of faith, broadly considered, only the true faith of the Scriptures and of Jesus Christ require such a radical event and transformation as the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. What does that mean? It is a watershed event. But what it means is it is not sufficient for us merely to know better. We cannot live the same anymore, just a little bit more prepared. A little bit cleaner. A little bit sharper. No, it means that we have to be born again and rise again with Jesus. We have to examine our own hearts and our own attitude and to see how the Lord has made a change in us. And Jesus begins here by telling us that we must be accepting of others, even as we are accepted. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Luke 6, verse 37 is, I think, perhaps the favorite passage in all of the Bible for people who have never read the Bible. You know how that goes, right? Someone who never has even cracked the Bible all of a sudden can go all King James on you on this verse. They start quoting it with yees and these and thous. Because you see, what they want Jesus to be saying is, well, you know, don't judge me and I won't judge you. We'll all just sort of try to get along. There's no reason to get upset. There's no reason to, to get all radical. Let's just live and let live. But you see, Jesus can't be saying here that this is an excuse to go ahead and keep sinning. He can't be saying here, don't judge anyone because there's no absolutes. Because if He were saying that, then why would the cross exist? Why would He go to the cross? Why wouldn't He just have looked out at the crowds and said, you know, let's just not judge each other. But then what does it mean? Should we take our scissors and cut this verse out of the Bible, say that Luke has misquoted Jesus? I don't think so. What it does mean is Jesus is getting at our hearts. He's not talking about some objective system of justice. He's talking about your heart. And what he's saying is, it's very easy to be judgmental, isn't it? It's very easy to have a condemning disposition. It's very easy to be harsh. And this is especially true for those who claim the name of Christ and who understand God's law and understand His Word. We can even make excuses for our harshness and we can say, well, we're supposed to be harsh. We're standing for God's Word. I'm sure God would enjoy if we kicked someone when they were down. You see, it's an attitude that takes over our heart. As we look at others, we see them in the worst light. We, we attach the worst possible motives to what they're doing. And you see, the reality of this is, this is not born of the change of grace that comes to us in Christ. Because after all, Jesus knows the worst of your worst. 
the things that you don't even like to think or dream about because you don't want to bring them back to your mind, Jesus already knows. And Jesus knew that before he went to the cross. In spite of your worst, he went to Calvary. You see, the grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ is not one that is without absolutes, is not one that flaunts God's law, but it is an attitude of the heart where grace is central in our lives, where we do not cut others off. Everyone that Jesus saw deserved to be despised by Him. They all deserved the silent treatment, including you and me. But Jesus didn't cut them off. He literally bled and died. He asks that of His people. To not cut others off. To give others more than they deserve. Because you see, if we're not accepting of others, then this is a way that we can push Jesus off. We can put Him at arm's distance. We can say, we don't need that kind of grace. We don't need what Jesus brings for us. There's another attitude of heart that Jesus confronts us with. And that is He tells us that we are to forgive even as we are forgiven. Now, this is hard, isn't it? I'm not talking about that sort of easy, fake forgiveness that happens. You know when two children have a fight in the house and you make one say, I'm sorry? And then you say, say it like you mean it. And then you make the other one say, I forgive you. Say it like you mean it. Implicit in that is we know you don't mean it. At least pretend. Put on a good show. No, we're talking here about real forgiveness Real forgiveness requires us to know that we are the ones who are forgiven. We know what it's like. We know why we need forgiveness. Because as much as we like to deny it, we're horrible. We're self-centered. We're not focusing on others. We're unloving. We're rebellious against God. And He forgives us. That He might make us a part of His family. And when we know and understand that attitude of forgiveness, it cannot help but well up in us and overflow to others in our lives. You see, when we show forgiveness, it shows the work of God in our lives. Do you know the old cliche, let's bury the hatchet? That's wrong. It's not a hatchet you need to bury. It's your old sinful self. You need to push aside all of your self-centeredness and to be willing to let the work of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrected Christ, manifest itself in your life because you see that is why He rose again. It was not for show. It was so that you might be changed and you might manifest the grace of God in His creation. 
There's a third attitude of the heart we need to cultivate. And that is to be giving even as we have been given. And Jesus gives us a wonderful story here. Throughout this passage, Jesus paints pictures that are vivid for our eyes and ears. And He paints the picture to us of a measure being given. And He says, For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, in verse 38. And we look at that and we say to ourselves, Well, we don't want to be negative. Jesus said, don't be stingy with other people, because if you are, He'll be stingy with you. But that's actually not what the picture is that's before us. It's actually the exact opposite. It's not a picture of avoiding stinginess. It's a picture of generosity and overflowing love. The way that you would decide to buy a measure of grain in the marketplace is you would go to the seller and they would take this cone-like basket and they would pour grain into the basket. And then they would take the basket and they would shake it so that it would settle down. And then the seller would take his hands and go on top of the, the grain and push down to get all of the empty space out, to get all of the air voided. And then he would continue to fill it till it came to the brim. And then he would take his fingers and poke holes in them and just to find any spare space so that it would be completely measured to the full. And you know what Jesus says? That's not enough. I'm going to do all of that. And then it's going to overflow into your lap. That's how much Jesus gives. Where more do we see that in the giving of His own life? He did not spare anything. Many of us would give our car, not our house, but our car. The shirt off our back, but not our phones. The money in our checking account, but not our savings. You see, Jesus did not hold anything back. He gave His very life. And that meant more than just death. It meant separation from the Father, from the One with whom He had eternal relationship and covenantal love. It meant experiencing the wrath of God. Jesus gives. Well, we not only are called to examine our attitudes, we're also called to examine our vision. And Jesus draws another picture for us. In verse 39, He says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, imagine this. Imagine in a, in a rough desert landscape in Palestine, imagine two blind men going. Perhaps one would say, I'm not sure where we are. And the other says, well, don't worry about it. I'll lead. You know what's going to happen. Eventually, they're going to come across something they can't see. They're going to fall into the pit. It might be overconfidence that takes them on. But you see, Jesus knows the reality of this, that without Him we cannot see. We are as blind to the reality of the world as if we had no eyes. He says to us, 
You don't possibly believe someone could lead another blind man, do you? Because you see, it is only by grace that we can have eyes to see the reality of the world and where Jesus is taking us. It's the same way with the story of the teacher. Do you expect someone to be different from their teacher? Jesus says, be careful who you follow. Because they're taking you down a path. In this, He's calling you to follow Him. To be taught by Him. To be in the same priorities that He has. We not only examine our attitudes and examine our vision, but Jesus tells us we need to examine our own lives critically. We need to be careful. And he tells us a story that is so memorable that I think virtually everyone knows some version of it. It's the story of the speck and the log. And and Jesus tells us of the man who goes up to another man. And he says, brother, let me, let me give you a hand here. You've got some issues. Let me get this out of your eye. Now, you know what this is like. You've done this at home, right? With your husband or with your wife. You say, uh, you've got something on your face. Oh, okay. No, no, other side. Okay. No, lower. No, higher. Oh, just let me get that. Right? We want to be helpful. And in this area of the world, there would be pieces of straw and chaff flying about, and someone could get that stuck in their eye. And that could be painful. It could cause it to be difficult to see. It could be unsightly. We could look at them and say, I want to get your help. And Jesus tells us the person who's trying to get the help can't get close because there's this gigantic beam sticking out of their eye. Now, this is not a piece of wood. This is not a two-by-four. This is not even a construction piece. This is one of the main beams holding up the whole building. Log is too small of a word. And you see, Jesus says, how can you look at someone else and miss what is in your own life? And you see, the answer to that is because we want to examine ourselves by our own standard. And when we do that, we fail to see the cross of Jesus Christ. We fail to see its application for us. We look at the cross as something that other people need, not me. And we commit the great sin of forgetting Jesus. We have a loss of proportion. We look at others' problems as far bigger than our own. We have a loss of priority. We want to start with fixing others when we need to start with ourselves. There's a truth here. That if you believe in the power of the resurrected Christ, you must be slow to straighten other people out and quick to start with yourself. This is what it means to see clearly in Jesus. There's a second set of vignettes that Jesus gives to us that teach us what it means to to bear fruit in Jesus. He begins at verse 43, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Jesus wants us to get at the root of the matter 
in every real sense. And so he uses this analogy of the tree. He says, what I want you to get is not just a better understanding of the world. I don't just want you to know better how you should treat people. I don't just want you to change on the outside. You have to understand that it all begins on the inside. Jesus came not just to bring teaching, but a life-changing sacrifice. Because you see, I think often we have a mistaken view of sin. We view sin as simply making a mistake. And what we need to do is start correcting our mistakes. And we even can use our Bible knowledge to help us in this. After all, what does sin mean? Many of us will offer and say, well, what sin means is missing the mark. So what I need to do is stop sinning. I need to stop missing the mark. I need to start hitting the mark. But the truth is, sin is not just a mistake that needs to be corrected. We don't just need fixing. We need a whole new us. We need to see our need for the resurrection. And that's what the resurrection is about. It's not just a healing. It is an entirely new rebirth. It is an entire new us born in the power of the resurrected Christ. That's why the Bible speaks about the old life and the new life and being born again and rising from the dead. You see, because we are to treat our old selves as gone forever and follow after the risen Savior. And Jesus tells us how we can see in our own lives how we follow after the Savior. He gives us a basic law of nature. You expect an apple tree to grow what? Apples. Not oranges. Not pine cones. Why do you expect it to grow apples? Because there are apples on it? No, because it's an apple tree. How many of you would like me to come to your house this afternoon and to create an apple tree for you? You have a good oak tree or pine tree? and a nice big wad of duct tape, I'll bring my own apples, I'll tape them up on the tree, voila, apple tree. Right? That's foolish, isn't it? Because you don't change the nature of a tree just by looking at its fruit. The nature of the tree is what it is, and the fruit comes from the tree. And in our lives, the root is the condition of our souls. It's our hearts. You can't begin with changing what's outside. Don't start with your language. Don't start with your behavior. Start with your heart. And your language and your behavior will change. There's also truth here that we cannot change anything until our hearts are changed. The heart is the starting place. So if you've come here this morning thinking, I've done my duty, I've come on Easter, I've cleaned up quite nicely, and you know what? The preacher said some good things. He's reminded me that I should be kind to others. I should put others first. I should forgive others. I'm going to go home and I'm going to turn over a new leaf then I say to you, you must repent of that. 
you must start by saying, Jesus, I need a new heart. You can give it to me. Will you? Then, you will be changed from the inside out. You will be born again. You will be new in Christ. The resurrection won't just be an apologetic term, a thing to be proven to skeptics. The resurrection will be power in your life today to face difficulties. The heart is the place where we start. But when we begin with the heart, you'll notice Jesus says that the fruit follows. Look at verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You Notice Jesus, even when he's looking at fruit, is not looking at the tangible things that we can pretend. He wants the attitude of our heart. When times are difficult, how does the heart speak? You know, often we try to change, to ask God to give us a new heart. And sometimes we get some success at that. We can, by good force of effort, change our behavior. But there's a problem, isn't there? It happens again. Because, you see, a life that is rooted in sin produces more sin. But there's great hope here in Jesus. It's not the kind of hope that we first think about because if pruning our life, if the tree of our life could simply be pruned so that we would produce more good fruit, then we have no reason at all for the cross. Then God is a failure. He has wasted the death of His Son. If we could do it ourselves, then God is a colossal failure. But He's not. You see, God knows we can't just prune away the sin in our lives. He knows we need a whole new heart. And Jesus died to give it to you. And He rose that you might have the hope that you actually possess it. You see, if we have the cross, then we do not need to worry because Jesus will take care of you. We will still struggle with sin. But the power of Jesus is at work in our lives. There's a third and final thing that Jesus teaches us this morning. He teaches us how to stand firm in Him. And he gives us another vignette starting at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Now, Jesus shows us what it is like to be real. He continues to focus on what it means to follow him. He says, the fruit is evidence of the tree, and there could be no pretending If the fruit produced is real and good, the tree is good. If the fruit produced is not good, then you cannot pretend it is a good tree. 
It's not talking about Jesus that's important, but living for Jesus. And he makes this very clear. He says, why do you come up to me and say, Lord, Lord? Now, you have to imagine this. This is emphatic. This is emotional. The person might be weeping. He has the lilt in his voice. Oh, Lord, Lord. He says, why do you come to me with all this? It's not real in your life. You don't do anything that I say. And Jesus can say this to us because He is the true resurrected King and He brings real resurrected life. And that means real living for you and for me. It means real growth. Do you see the progression that Jesus gives here? Those who come to me and hear me and do. You can't just come and not listen. Coming and listening isn't enough. You know what that's like? It's like every time you've ever been on an airplane. You know what I'm talking about. You settle in your seat. You buckle the seatbelt so you don't get in trouble. You sit down and the flight attendant comes out with the safety manual and instructions. And you proceed to find the best possible way you can to ignore everything she is saying without seeming like that to get in trouble. The magazines go up. The phones come out. Is that how you listen to Jesus? Going through the motions? Without it being real? Well, how is it real? How does Jesus know I'm really listening? How does Jesus know that it's really taking root in my heart? He tells you, do it! If you hear it and believe it, do it. It's not easy. He's been telling us this all through this sermon. It means loving your enemies. It means showing mercy to people that don't deserve mercy. It means looking first at your own sin rather than the sin of others. It means not being focused on reform, but on the Spirit of Christ. How do we do this? Well, Jesus tells us it's to be anchored in Him. What it means to be real is to be anchored to Jesus. He tells us the story of the two men who build the homes. And you have to imagine an area that would be dry with perhaps a hill or a mountain nearby and a flash flood would come and in order to be prepared, the one man goes and he digs a deep foundation. And the language is very vivid. There's actually two verbs involved here. He digs and then he digs deeper to get to the rock. And then once he's gotten to the rock, then he begins to build his home. And then when the storm comes, and a storm always comes, when the storm comes, the river comes rushing against the home and it remains. Why? Is it the building that makes the difference? No. It's the foundation. It's not how well the walls were built. It's the solid rock of the foundation that the man's home is built upon. So it is with our lives. 
Our lives can stand in the storm only if they are placed upon the solid rock of Jesus. You see, Jesus paid the cost that we might live. And living for Christ requires a cost. It requires discipline to know God's Word. It requires a sacrifice to serve others. It requires faith to trust that Jesus knows best, not me. This is hard, isn't it? It's why Jesus warns us. He gives us the other story. He says, the one who did not lay the foundation, the one who was not placed upon the rock. When the storm came there, there was no hope. You see, Jesus' words aren't just wisdom that we can apply as we see fit. He's not just a teacher. Jesus is God Himself who died for His people. And so we must put His words into practice in our lives. That is how we will know that we can see. That is how we will know our hearts. That is how we will know all of this is real. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is an end. It is an end to Jesus' work. It is finished. There is nothing to be added. But in another real sense, it is just a beginning. It is the beginning of the work that Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, does in you and in me. Taking root in our lives. Changing who we are. And molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.